Welcome to the No Greater Joy podcast, ministry of the pastors here at Grace Baptist Church in Westlake, Ohio, and uh, we want for our people what Jesus wants for his people, and that is for his joy to be in them and their joy to be full. We want our people to have no greater joy. We believe that there's no greater joy than stepping into the areas of being an alongsider, 24-7 worshiper, and a go person. And uh, we explore these topics in the podcast. Happy to have uh, two of the other pastors here at Grace Baptist Church. I'm Steve Strong, lead pastor. To my left is... Ryan Atkins. In the Timothy position. And across the table from me... Andreas Bailey, associate pastor. And making us sound really good is Dan Kraniak, producing this, making this good member here at Grace. Also happy to have a guest for this podcast, for this episode and the next episode. And if you are at Grace, have been here for any number of years, you're going to be familiar with who he is. It's Andy Giesman. The uh, head Pumba, Addison's Walk Institute, headquartered in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And uh, he has been a missionary for our church for how many years? About I don't know. Seven. I was going to say, yeah. I thought it was more than five. Well, we started in 2014. I think I was here the summer after Pretty 2015. Close to that. Yeah. Yep. So, Andy, for those that are <laughs> unfamiliar with you and your ministry, just take a few minutes and let them know what you do all day. Yeah. Well, Addison's Walk is um, basically a missions agency, and we focus on college students in Scranton. And uh, we have a unique in with college students in that I am an adjunct philosophy professor at at a relatively large regional school there in Scranton. And I've been doing that for a number of years, so I have access to students through the classroom. And uh, unlike ministries like Crew or InterVarsity or Ratio Christie organizations with whom we would share many of their values and goals, we're not a club. So I cannot openly invite students to anything that we're doing. I'm really kind of under the radar, but because I'm a philosophy professor, we get to talk about fundamental issues in the classroom, and I can be very open with my faith. And uh, students tend to ask a lot of questions. In fact, this semester, I have a very engaged group of young men and women in two separate classes that I'm teaching. And so it's not even halfway through the semester, and and they're asking great questions in the classroom, let alone outside of it. So um, I'm I'm expecting good things to be happening. Pretty cool. And you have, uh, it seems over the last couple years, perhaps because of, the great COVID. The great COVID. Um, you've had some other kind of ministry opportunities branching out. I don't know if you're free to share a little bit about that. You were telling us about one before sure. we started recording this. Well, uh, okay. I have I have a good friend uh, who is related to a person in this room um, who has been after me for years to start uh, recording content, whether it be audio or video or whatever. And once COVID hit two years ago, I really thought as a ministry, we were probably done because another thing I do is, is I, I do a lot of outside speaking, churches, youth groups, college groups, whatever. Camps. Camps, yeah. yep, retreats. And um, <clears throat> I thought it was all going to come crashing down. And so we started thinking about, mm, maybe it's about time we start doing that. Um, but then I started thinking, well, yeah, but the market is saturated with apologetics kind of stuff and 
you know, why, why would somebody want to listen to my voice as opposed to something else? So more thinking on that, we're, we're actually going to start producing content um, that's uh, not just apologetics related, but um, some of the things I'm interested in where my education has led me, I kind of sit at the crossroads of Bible, theology, literature, history, and philosophy. So we're going to do some things that are um, join all those things together, which I'm pretty excited about. So we're going to put out a a video series, uh, a course, a 16-week course, and it is for anybody, although I would imagine homeschool families or Christian schools would be interested in this. It's going to be called Shield of the Gods, an Introduction to Epic Literature. And we're going to look at three classic texts in order. We're going to look at the Iliad, the Aeneid, and Beowulf, and we're going to be studying the redemptive story arc that you find in in all of those uh, pieces of literature. It's in its infancy in Iliad. There's really a lot of killing in that, but still, there's um, there's a redemptive story arc, and it really it really finds its climax in uh, Beowulf. <laughs> so we want to do, we want to teach about how ideas that have shaped uh, Western culture in general and Christianity in particular, some of the places they've come from. Um, many of them outside of the Bible yep. in, in places <clears throat> like Iliad and um, some consider the Aeneid even to be proto-Christian in its, in its message. Um, but but how, how do these things affect us? How do we think about them? What do they mean? Um, we're going to be looking at fundamental worldview questions as, as, we, as we walk through that. So that is going to be starting very shortly. We have the stuff we need um, to record. We have a great space uh, to record in. Um, so Lord willing, we're going to get going on that very, very shortly. Awesome. It's exciting. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yes. And it's kind of along those lines and what you're doing, <clears throat> why we uh, have the topic for this episode and then another one for the next episode. But for this episode, just talking about um, Generation Z, <clears throat> specifically uh, coming alongside discipleship, that generation, um, generation Z would be, oh, those that in general right now between ten to twenty-five years old. Uh, you probably did, well, maybe a little bit with some ten or twelve-year-olds. You probably have a ten or twelve-year-old in your home, uh, but probably mostly you spend a lot of your time with uh, those on the mid to upper range with that. And yes. so, alongsiding is important for us at our church. It's one of those areas that. Uh, are challenging our people. You think about discipleship. Uh, discipleship doesn't primarily happen in a classroom setting. It's going to happen on an individual level or a small group level, and uh, we call it alongsiding. And so we're challenging our people, but we also want to equip our people to be healthy, good alongsiders. And um, one of the, <clears throat> I guess, the topic that we want to talk about is just what it, what would it look like to come alongside the next generation, and that next generation is this what uh, what is becoming known as Generation Z, and uh, it's a growing uh, demographic. It's a growing demographic within our own church, and um, so let's talk for a minute uh, about some of those characteristics. I'll let you guys just start rolling some things off, but uh, what would be some of those characteristics of this next generation? Those that were born uh, late '90s to almost recent maybe so i'll let you guys start rolling some things i was when i was thinking through this and just 
kind of prepping um, for this conversation, I could not believe just the statistics, the numbers, and just the size of this generation that's coming along. When like the, you know, approximately sixty-five million people, and as baby boomers are passing, like they will soon comprise almost forty percent of our nation's population. Like that's a huge chunk, and I think we'd be remiss if we don't spend some time really what we're doing right now, thinking about how to best communicate with this generation. And a couple of the other things, <clears throat> um, this is the generation that is being raised on social media and the internet. Um, they are growing up with screens in front of them. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> they're growing up with technology. They're the most ethnically uh, diverse uh, generation. They're more accepting and more open-minded uh, than any prior generations. A majority of them support um, social movements such as the Black Lives Matter, uh, the transgender issues, feminism, and they communicate primarily through social media. Um, Dre, you speak to that a little bit. You know, social media. Here you are. You're working with. Yeah, uh, just in the oh, way that they're communicating yeah. with each other. Yeah. yeah, every, you know, whether it's coaching baseball at the local public school or in our student ministry or just reaching teens in the community, the way that I communicate with them is via social media, mainly Instagram. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, that's how they're going to communicate back with you. So uh, benefits to us as a church having social media to be able to use that as a platform. Yeah, I think what you were saying, though, just the fact that this is the generation that they've always had a cell phone. Like, mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm on the brink of this generation. I'm 24. I can still remember my parents having the the rotary phone. Is that what we're calling it? Right? You know, where you're changing the numbers. Granted, my dad's an antique dealer and he's old school. <laughs> but uh, but I can still remember that, you know. And and a lot of these these individuals aren't going to be able to remember that. You know, they're, they're going to remember their parents having cell phones. They're going to remember having iPads. Um, so it, it really just it changes the way that uh, you know, we're going to be able to, to adopt them into the church family and reach them. Yeah, the way they get their information is completely yeah. different also. I mean, yeah, it's not TV channels. It's not your regular news, ABC, NBC, CBS, et cetera, mm -hmm. Fox News, yep. CNN. I mean, it's... Yeah, it's not, even, well, it's not even parents calling one another. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I'm, you know, I think about our teens, they're just texting their friends when they can hang out. It's not like their parents really have to connect, yep. you know? Yep. Some of the other, I think, underlying or environment context kind of things that are important for us to realize is that it's, it's a, this is a generation that is growing up in the post-Christian mm -hmm. um environment, post-church environment. Um, a majority of them are growing up in non-traditional homes, hmm. broken homes, um, <clears throat> households, dysfunctional households. And uh, I think someone put it, it they're the, they are the, as kind of what we're already saying, the social media, the tech mm -hmm. nurtured generation. I've written down, as I was thinking about this, this is this is the found, this is the, the the generation that is that has a that is absent a foundation, but they have a million voices in their head. And shaping how they understand and the big questions 
you know, Andy, you talked about the big questions. And so they're faced with big questions without any foundation or broken foundations and a million voices that they have to listen to. So how do you, I don't know, you're working with, you yeah. speak to that a little bit. Um, so the, the whole like um, being digital natives thing, I've seen that, uh, of course, in the classroom. But I, I just want to speak to that first, then I'm going to yeah. come around to this truth thing. What, what I find fascinating, um, I I ban all digital note-taking in my classroom. And it's not because I'm I'm anti... You're anti-Gen Z, man. Why yeah, do we I, have him on here? Yeah, wow. I'm anti-technology. <laughs> no. Put the notepad or the you know, iPad away, man. No, stop taking notes. <laughs> well, the the reason the reason I do that is because one, um, I don't think they're disciplined enough to not be on social right. media when it's happening, and I simply explain to them, I want you in here in this room, not out there for the the time we're in, and I've never gotten any pushback <laughs> on that from any student. Um, and then the other reason, studies have been shown that when you're well you're 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 using your ipad to write so that's good yes yeah well that, that's I'm like good. an intermediate state yeah that's that's the <laughs> intermediate state <laughs> that's that's the difference you know when you're just the words flash up on the screen um on powerpoint you just bang them out on your keyboard really fast well then your your mind kind of shuts down until you get the visual cue of the next thing and you're not really processing that stuff um so I, I do that, and I also I I traditionally teach. I just teach in the classroom, and I've been doing that with high school, college students for twenty five years now. Um, and I've had ministry leaders in different places tell me, "Well, you know, come in and give a talk, but only keep it to fifteen minutes because nobody can hold a, a their attention their attention for fifteen minutes." Okay, hold my beer because mm-hmm. it it's that's not going to happen. So teaching is still a skill that we have to develop in order to engage Gen, Gen Z. Use, use the technology, but it's not a replacement. Um, it, it, you know, it's like the old ideas in, in warfare. New technology doesn't replace uh, tried and true strategies. Mm-hmm. It just, it just, it can't, you can use it, but you can't. Okay. Um, back to the thing about, uh, the, the million voices that they hear, um, this, this is something that I see a lot. Um, and, and as I was reading through some of the resources that y'all, um, had provided, um, one of the things that we, we kind of assume about Gen Z, uh, is that they want an open forum to discuss truth. They want discussions. Well, yes, they they do want uh, open forums for discussions, but a better question for us to ask of them at some point is, what is truth? And see what answer they give you. Um, I wish I had the capacity to do some kind of uh, Barna-like research um, among churches like Grace and and other sister churches in the country that are gospel believing have a high view of scripture, all that kind of stuff, um, to do surveys with their students, uh, to ask them some basic biblical and theological questions, and my guess is 
they would probably get a lot of those right. <clears throat> but then somehow ask, okay, how is that connected to reality? Or how is this actually part of your worldview? Or is it actually true? Is it objectively true? Or is it just Sunday school <clears throat> true or church true? Um, my fear is that we would find out there's a terrible disconnect um, because that is that is what I've seen in my classroom. Um, now, granted, most of the kids that are church going, and I, I'm allowed to say kids because I'm old enough to be their dad. Um, most of the most of the kids who are church going in my classroom uh, would identify as Roman Catholic, um, but many of them are serious about it, like you know the good kids that come to youth group, and they're they're really trying. And frankly many of those big ticket item questions are going to answer the same way. Who is Jesus? Who is God? Um, why did Jesus need to come to earth? All, all those kinds of things. They, they would have the same answer. But there's a terrible disconnect between that and actually having a consistent um, Judeo-Christian worldview. Um, they, they really believe that they can pick and choose uh, what they believe and put things in silos, hmm. um, particularly when it comes to uh, social agenda, um, like the LGBTQ agenda and things like that. Um, they they will reject two thousand years of church doctrine um, and teaching and say, "Well, that that can't be." <clears throat> so I, I'm going to do what seems to be the nice thing. Um, but anyway, I, so do you think there's a a disconnect between because when you think about a worldview, you're thinking about you know this particular truth as implications for every area of my life, yes. and so is there a disconnect between here are the answers that I that I'll even that this I hold to that I believe to be true, but I don't see them applying, or I don't see either. I don't see them applying or I don't see how they apply to certain maybe social issues or or is it also a disconnect between the the relativity of things like I don't have a position or a, a place to impose this then upon you so they're not truly objective in that kind of sense they are not truly objective they 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 are smart enough to see the importance of consistency <clears throat> in any kind of logic. You know, anybody with siblings who's trying to win an argument, you know, what's the first thing you do? You look for the weakness yeah. in, in what they're telling you and you exploit it. That's every dinner for us. <laughs> Is it? <laughs> when the boys are home, yes, every dinner. <laughs> that would just be fun to watch. I would, I would just get popcorn it, and yeah. <laughs> I'd buy a ticket to that show. <laughs> um, so, uh, so they understand that. Um, but it, it's, it's a, a few items above that on the outline before you even get there. And the, the most important issue is, is a, a misunderstanding or just a, a, an, an ignorance about what objective truth really is. I spend more than one uh, sometimes weeks, I, I'll sometimes spend weeks on that issue, particularly in my ethics class, <coughs> talking about objective moral duties and values. 
And I have to, I have to over and over again, come back to trying to teach them the concept of what objective truth is because they don't get it. So let me, let me trans, we could talk about this. We could keep going for a long time. We, we could. Um, let's, let's transition because let's think about, um, you know, you have two young, probably Gen Zers in your home. I do. Um, Ryan has five Gen Zers in your home. Maybe actually, you may have some generation alphas. Yeah, but we won't go there. You... So you have uh, maybe one or two. Anyway, so you have young sons. Um, I have middle to upper Gen Zers in my home, and um, uh, two different kind of applications that I want to maybe start talking about. What can parents do? What should parents be doing with their children? Not should, maybe, but but what can parents be doing? Maybe should be doing with their parents, with their children, in training them up with that in mind. But also, what does the older generation need to understand in terms of coming alongside? Because I, I think the Gen Zers also are there. There is a sense. There is a relationship void. Um, because there's technology is such this dominating force in their life for real, genuine, deep, authentic relationships. I think that's important. Um, and it needs to happen. And I want everybody in our church, as they're listening to this, to find one of these 10 to 27-year-olds and develop a meaningful relationship with them and come alongside them and point them toward Christ in a general way. What is it that they need to understand in order to do that effectively? So that's a loaded, that's a lot, that's a lot there. But when you think about parents with their children, <clears throat> in some way there has to be a, this is not just true for us, this is true for the world type training. And we shouldn't shy away from, you know, advocating that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because discipling, um, I, I, I think sometimes we think about discipling a little more gently than we should, you know, because discipling isn't just <clears throat> the idea of coming along someone and making him feel good about the decisions they're making. I, I used to... We'll tell, talk about that in the next episode. Right, right. I, I used to tell my my students, um, you need a mentor, you need a discipler is the mm -hmm. word we would use. Um, and the true definition of someone that's doing that and doing that well is they can put you in a headlock and give you a hug at the same time. Hmm. And someone that's not just going to affirm your nonsense, uh, but, but call it out. That's, I think I just did a talk with local pastors on X chapter 20. That's the admonishing with tears day and night mm -hmm. in X 20 that Paul did with those right. men. Yep. Um, but to answer your question, what do adults, parents need to know? Uh, the first thing, the first thing is it's not, um, if, if you're trying to disciple a student that you're, you're looking at them and you're thinking, I don't, I don't think they're believing correctly about important pieces of, say, doctrine. Well, they may not, but it's not just a, a belief issue that information or data is going to fix. It is, 
it is understanding that they think differently than you. And um, there's no silver bullet to fix that. But uh, in order to be able to speak truth into their lives, you're going to have to spend some time trying to uh, uh, learn how how they think, not just what. And that that's a place that you can start and be willing to ask questions. And listen and be prepared for some nonsense answers uh, sometimes. But in a long, this is the long game, yeah. long, uh, a long process. What would, Andy, just thinking, what would some of those questions to really get at how you're thinking, what would those sound like? What would right? So if it's if it's like one of these, say moral morally ambiguous issues, right? Um, well, same sex marriage. Well, I know I know what the church says. I know what the Bible says, or something. But I, I don't really think that's. I don't think it's a big deal. Okay, why? Just simply why? Mm. Or um, along those same lines. Um, um, what, what, when I'm talking to students in my classroom, um, sometimes we'll, we'll pick uh, moral issues that are not ambiguous at all. Like, I'll ask them, is it ever right to torture babies? And they look at me like I have two heads. Said, no, I'm serious. Answer the question. Is it ever right to torture babies? No. Never? No. So it's always wrong. Yes. Why? And so just to get them thinking about what makes something objectively, <clears throat> in this case, morally wrong, um, um, but really asking them the questions that are dealing with why do you think the way that you do? How did you come to that conclusion? And you, you may be faced with the uncomfortable silence um, because they, they haven't ever thought of that before, but when you create that sanctuary environment for them, I hate the term safe space, so I'm not going to use it, but a sanctuary environment where they know that it's okay to, to talk about those things, um, it's going to become a little bit easier, but I, I would think that's, that's among the top strategies. So, so even, cause you, you've talked a lot about, I've heard you say, you know, Everybody needs to climb down the ladder of their beliefs, right? The chain of their beliefs. The chain of their beliefs. To see to and whom or to what it is anchored. That's right. And why questions seem to kind of, well, why is that? Why do you right. hold to those things? Right. You know, uh, tend to help you climb down as opposed to climb up. But, and I, you know, and maybe that goes to a little bit of, um, just a foundationless right position with a million voices and it sounds right they're just not climbing down right yep everybody has a chain of beliefs <clears throat> the question is is it anchored to anything or not yep yep so yeah and often it's not yep and as pastors and I'm not a pastor I don't I don't hold the office of pastor but I do play pastoral things in our teaching um like with with students, all right. So youth ministry is notorious for this. Um, we sometimes don't do a very good job of of teaching the meta narrative. 
and showing how it really all fits together. Um, instead, a lot of times in the youth ministry, we'll lift out those kind of pet areas that we want to deal with and set them down. And, and that's okay to look at things individually or <laughs> um, up close like that. But we have to remember it is part of a larger story. So uh, Isaiah has something to do with with Abraham, who has something to do with Peter, who has something to do with... Um, with you. With Jericho and with me and with you. And, That's right. Because we're a part of the same... You know, these are not just things that happened thousands of years ago, though they are. You are part of the same story. That is correct, which is a fundamental worldview issue. Yeah. Who or what is behind human history? Yeah. And if, if it is a who, well, then we're all part of it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I just went through a class on the, the ecologies, ecological, am I saying this right? Ecological, or no, ecology of faith, I think. And so how everything is interconnected and interwoven. Oh. So, but that kind of just, I think, plays to what you were saying a little bit about how the whole entire Bible is interwoven and interconnected. And as modern day believers, we are too. So, mm -hmm. but it was an interesting class because they went through it uh, based on the digital age as well. But, oh, wow. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Yep. All right. Any other uh, maybe closing thoughts for our parents and for those that are going to engage in discipling with? Today's 10 to 25 year olds. I, I've talked a lot, but I want to say one more. Say one more. That's why we're doing this. All right. <laughs> um, don't be afraid to do the radical thing. And that is um, take away the digital products. Take sometimes. away the device. So I have, we have Gen Z, you know, kids. My son is 13. He's almost as tall as me now. It's really disgusting but um <laughs> they uh, our, our kids they don't have phones they don't have ipads you know part of that is just pure fiscal decision we don't have you know resources for that kind of thing um and they they get made fun of at school a little bit because of that and my wife and i were totally okay with that because they they read well <laughs> um and can and can discuss things and uh, it, and so it is okay, yes, Gen Z, they're digital natives, but why do they have to be? I mean, it, there's no reason they have to be fused to that device 24-7. And it's, it's a radical decision, but one that can be made. All right. Should we tell our people to stop using devices for their Bible? I don't. I, I wouldn't tell you to, to tell your people that um, uh, because there's a, there's a level of <clears throat> uh, Phariseeism, you know, you, you, you yeah. should do it this way versus this way. So reading on, on a digital device is, is a real way of reading. It really is. I, I would make an argument that it's probably not the best way, but... I'm not going to tell somebody not to. Um, I think it's better to have an actual paper Bible, but mm -hmm. I wouldn't tell them not to, no. All right. That's above my pay grade. <laughs> You'll leave that to us? Yes, I will. <laughs>
That came out of nowhere, too. I was like, hmm. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, let's call it quits for this. And um, appreciate you guys listening. Andy, thank you for your time. Sure. I'm sure this will generate some more questions and follow up. And so shoot them our way. And we'll do yeah, that. this was fun. All right. Till next episode. God bless. Bye.